It's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode number 213, an Audi or a Honda? I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and joining me in unpacking Honda's bold Aussie market approach, our key contributor, Mr. Dave Morley. G'day. And it's GR Gowich to News Editor Tung joining us from <laughs> Dublin. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> we'll also take a look at the uh, fresh metal we've been driving and dive into your feedback. It's not so fresh in the, in the case of Dave, but it'll be interesting nonetheless. YouTubers, you can jump ahead via the time codes in the notes or click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So let's get to it. This is an, an opinion piece that uh, our own Byron authored through the week, and he basically summed it up and said, you asked for it, you've got it. Um, the price we pay for much better Hondas. And in shorthand, I think the general consensus has been that Honda may have tapered off in terms of the quality of the product from a, an engineering, a, a design and execution point of view. Um, and they've gone from great heights not all that long ago uh, to a relative low ebb. Um, and now in the face of that, they've changed the structure of the way they're going to sell the cars in Australia. And in fact, have a long game strategy in terms of making the cars uh, better, more interesting, more innovative to try and recapture some of that mojo that they had um, only a decade or a decade and a half ago, um, but we're going to pay for it. Uh, we're going to pay a little more. So, Dave, you know, you and I are, are uh, certainly um, of an age where we remember well uh, Honda's vibrant years through the 80s into the 90s. They were a force in Formula One engine supply. They had um, the reputation of being like a Japanese European car, the Japanese BMW. Yep. Um, where do you stand with Honda as it is today relative to all of that past glory? Uh, it's, it's a Honda I don't recognise. You know, I mean, they talk about snatching the feet from the jaws of victory. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you look at some of their more recent efforts, um, the, the odyssey of, of 10 years ago or so was this cool looking yeah. wagon with the blue tinted headlights and it was cool. It was a good car. Then they come out with the, the new Odyssey, and I'm going, well, that's a parcel van. I can, you know, I can see where they've taken the, yes. the stickers off the side. It was awful. What, yes. What's going on there? I mean, I just yes. don't understand how that process could make it past the boardroom. Yes. Uh, or the product planning stage. I just don't understand some things. Now, okay, there's a lot of things I don't understand about Japanese car makers, but one of the things I do know about Honda is that, yeah, you're right. In its heyday, it, mm. it was rocking, you know, like it was making mm. some great cars and, um, and it was pig headed in a way it, it stuck to its guns on a lot of tech, but even that was kind of um, endearing, even when it didn't work. So well. it was, it was admirable, wasn't it? You know, they've, they've, they've given it a go. Yes. Yeah. I mean, right in the late eighties, um, everyone, the world and his dog had switched to electronic injection or, or at least single point injection, not Honda. Uh -uh. You could still buy a Civic with twin carburetors. And, <laughs> and it was a gem. It was an absolute gem of a thing. I drove one interstate once and, and think, well, and I came back going, well, what's the big deal with fuel injection? This is yeah. just good. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and of course my background with motorcycles too. I mean, you know, if you, if you carburet something properly, uh, it's, it's it's a good it's, setup. It's indistinguishable yes. from from good fuel injection. So, mm. uh, and that, and that's what struck me about that car. But but there were lots of other things they did too. Um, when they did finally go to fuel injection, they didn't just buy an off the shelf Bosch uh, Motronic system. They 
produced uh, PGMFI, I think it was called. Okay, uh, yes. They stuck with that for years, and it was an in-house thing. It, it probably had its limitations in terms of uh, development. It probably didn't have the headroom that that, yes. a, that a system like a Bosch does because everybody's using Bosch. So, you know, there's lots of technology, lots of development money for that. So they're a little bit, they painted themselves into a bit of a corner there. Mm. But even things like um, uh, the insistence on using double wishbones. There was a time when all mm. Hondas had double wishbones, front and rear. Mm. Now, mm. the rest of the world, again, had moved on and had gone to McPherson Struts, not Honda. And it backfired a little bit because on their smaller cars, they couldn't get the length of wishbone necessary to get enough wheel articulation. So they had to set them up very, very stiff. Yes. And, and there was That's a, price a strong to pay. memory too. Yes. There was a price to pay for that. But when you bought a Honda, you were getting double wishbones at both ends. And for a yeah. lot of people, that was, that was what mattered, particularly yeah. people who back then were following the Formula One thing. Tung, Tung, you're not averse to a firm suspension. Um, I know, I know that much. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you are a former Honda owner of of various stripes, are you not? Uh, I'm actually a current uh, Honda owner. Honda owner, yes. 93 uh, EG Civic um, in my parents' garage that I am changing engines on. Uh, you know, there's a B16A that's being dropped in there. Like I, I grew up in the 90s. I, you know, Honda yeah. for me has yeah. always been, you know, Type R, Integra, NSX, uh, S2000. Um, yes. You know, even a Cord Euro. Uh, these models were exciting. You know, they're the ones that you saw on the streets and people modified and yeah. you know, it got everyone excited, or at least in my age bracket, excited about Honda. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to, you know to, to quote a meme, it seemed like VTech had kicked in back then. <laughs> yes. And now the brand is coasting a little bit. There is nothing yeah. exciting in their lineup anymore. You look at Honda Australia now, they sell the Civic, the yes. HRV, the CRV. Yeah. And the Accord. That's well, it. Uh, I think that the thing that occurs to me is um, when Honda was such a force in Formula One, yeah, there's that, you know, you do that and that's an activity that that hopefully feeds back into the, the broader organization. And that's exactly what they did. They cycled engineers through the Formula One team and then brought them back into the company. So that yeah. there was a, a kind of physical um, connection between all of that innovation to the products that were being connected. And mm. further to that, when you looked at the, the back end of, you know, Ayrton Senna's McLaren with a Honda in the back of it, um, the, the, the cam cover on that car looked exactly the same as the cam cover when you cracked open the bonnet on your Civic. You know, there was this yeah. beautiful uniformity of, of the brand and how it was expressed in the products that they made. And yep. yeah, that 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 just seems to have fallen away. I think it became was it Earth Dreams was Honda's yeah. thing for a while, where the whole business seemed to go into a bit of a malaise about what are we and and why are we doing what we're doing, and a lot of the products seem to kind of fall off the perch during that process. I think it's a bit dangerous though to single Honda out there. I mean, a yep. lot of car makers hit the doldrums. You know, look at Toyota um, twenty years ago. You know, it yeah, went, true. It went from the JZ80 Supra to nothing you know yeah yeah uh, all of a sudden everything was a paseo uh, yes. <laughs> you know, they, they had some they had some cracking cars and, and even if the cars themselves weren't so good the hits the backstory was you know yeah was, good point and and you know the mr2 and things like that and mm. and you know until the 86 came along they yes they suddenly rediscovered that but you know th there's a lot of um, mitsubishi you know mitsubishi yeah are on the bones of their backside, haven't got the money to develop a new Lancer for God's sake. So, I mean, sure. it's, it's, 
you know, you don't want to be too hard on them for that because every company goes through that. But what, um, what worries me a bit about them um, is that they went from a company that understood that different markets had different uh, requirements. And, and that's mm. how we ended up with the V6 Accord right. directly against the four-cylinder Accord Euro. And, yeah. uh, and one car was a, was a peach and one was a, was a... Not so peachy. Not so peachy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I nearly said it. Um, but, uh, you know, so that, that, that appears to have gone too. I think the other thing to remember is that it's also a bit dangerous to to give them a kicking over just having little SUVs because mm. hell, hell, God knows they're not alone there. Oh, that's where the market's you know, gone, no the, doubt. You look yeah. at even Ford, you know, Ford, the champion of the people's small car. You can't buy a Fiesta now unless it's an S2. That- Dave, I think the difference here, though, is that like no other car brand, sure, the car brands have pivoted away from um, maybe their enthusiast or their sports car, halo car roots. Um, No other car company has done it um, as leanly as Honda has. Mm -hmm. You know, there are are four models that they have in their range right now. Um, You know, the Civic is only available in one spec now, and that is $47,000 drive away. Um, You know, it's it's and the, and their big plan um, is you know, they were a top ten brand you know not two or three years ago mm-hmm. um, and they actually said on the record that um, you know moving to a new agency sales model is is and you know pushing a little bit more up market and slimming down their range is going to force their sales you know they're going to halve their sales. Do you, do you know like, do you know I, I reckon what's emblematic of where Honda was and where Honda is now and where it's going. Um, is the NSX in that you have in the, the late 80s, early 90s, that original uh, V6 NSX was a breakthrough car for all kinds of reasons, um, a, a halo car for the brand, no doubt. Um, and then you look at the more recent NSX, which was, I, you just didn't see the point. Um, you know, the original one, it was a statement um, from Honda. This is what we're capable of doing. The, the next time around, it was more like, well, we're just going to make this thing. It's going to be Ferrari money. It doesn't really do anything. Yes, it's a hybrid, but it's it's not all that different from other exotic sports cars you can buy. It was like, why are you doing that? So to, to refocus and say, have a strategy that says, this is what we're going to be, and this is how we're going to market ourselves, uh, in Australia at least, uh, sounds like a good starting point to, to rebuild things. Maybe that says more about, people's expectations though because i mean I, I remember the first nsx and you know if, if you're going to be perfectly brutal about it, it it didn't do anything that other supercars didn't do either in fact i wasn't a huge fan of that car and i i've yeah. copped it i've copped it in the neck over the years for, for my view on that you know yeah. at the time i called it a really fast civic well i, I, I remember you you and i were you and i were punching on at one stage dave i know we, we got right into it at one point yes yeah i mean it just didn't just didn't do it for me um and i don't know that that I don't know that that original NSX made any more of a statement than, than the new one. Uh, okay. but, but the statement that it made was that, uh, look, we, we can do this too. It was a me too car mm. in a lot of ways. You know, that's very interesting you say that because I remember at the time, um, Angus McKenzie, now long uh, in, this, in the States, connected with Motor Trend, et cetera, he went to the Tachigi plant where those NSXs were handmade and he saw people in white coats. And I remember him saying to me, all these people looked at me with the hammer and dolly in their hand and they're, they're doing the forming on the alloy bodies, like looking at him like, isn't there a machine that can do this? Why, why are we doing this? There was a, it was a sense of uh, we've got to do it this way because Ferrari does it this way. Or exactly this is right. Exactly right. And that's, Interesting. that's tokenism for me, you know? Right. Yeah, you know, okay. I, I also thought the original NSX didn't have enough engine. 
Yes, no, maybe. It was, all, it was all mouth and no trousers. <laughs> all hat and no cattle. Um, well, all candles and no cake. <laughs> yes. So, Tong, you started us down that road that um, that Honda in Australia has made that move to what is referred to as an agency model. That is, yep. they'll control the stock holding of, of cars that are in the country. Um, dealers will become agents that are, are not in a position to haggle on price or, or specification of the car. It's a, they're the facilitator of, of the transaction. Um, and what will happen also in that process is that uh, they've trimmed their model lineup quite dramatically. The Jazz is gone, the NSX we were just talking about. Um, the cheapest Civic now, there's one model, um, the VTI LX, so it's, it's top grade. And it's um, nudging up towards $50,000 drive away. Um, yep. So it's a big shift, uh, rather sudden, and it will probably catch people by surprise, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. But um, I also think, you know, to, to come in and defend Honda a little bit here, I, I genuinely think that, um, you know, they have looked at the product portfolio that was available to them. Yep. Um, they've read the tea leaves, they've looked at the industry, and they've basically said, you know what, if, if we don't make this change now, if we don't make this pivot and uh, try to, uh, you know, evolve into yep. uh, a more sort of premium or higher end brand, um, yes. you know, we're going to fade away into irrelevancy. So yep. they made that call early. Um, you know, I, I believe they announced the, the shift to the agency model last year, uh, mm. into effect earlier this year. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're starting to see, uh, you know, the, the new Civic roll around, uh, there'll be a new HRV next year. There's going to be quite a substantial, uh, you know, product uh, refresh. And yep. I think we need to give it um, a, a whole generation or a few years yet before we can deem whether this is a success or a failure for them. I, I agree with you. I think, for example, when you think about um, Hyundai um, in you know, a decade and a half ago, when their cars were becoming demonstrably better and they were actually able to sell much more on the quality and features of their cars rather than just being a price leader. It's taken some time for that perception to wash through. So if you want to reposition yourself as a more premium brand, that's, that's going to take a while as well. Um, but yeah, you've got, to, you've got to start somewhere. Look, I, you're talking five, six years down the track. I'm not sure they've got that in them. You know, right. I, I think this is a cry for help. I really yeah, right. You know, right. And the other thing is, you know, you talk about Hyundai. And if you look at all the great recoveries or, or improving brands, it's it's generally been a product-led recovery. Look at Mazda yeah. a few years ago. You know, yeah. they brought out the three and the two, and all of a sudden they went from these dowdy little dumpsters to these fantastic <laughs> cars that were great value for money. And, yeah. and you know, P-platers couldn't buy them fast enough. Yes. So I'm not sure that, you know, Honda's, you know, getting rid of the jazz. I mean, Come on. <laughs> yes. It's interesting. I, mean, I, often, I sometimes think about all of those thousands upon thousands of XLs that were sold and um, how you don't see them anymore. I'm sure they're tucked up in garages, you know, in no, a heated uh, environment, in a humidity environment to keep no, them in great shape. No, they're not. They're either being raced or the front ends fell out of them and they hit trees. <laughs> exactly. Um, fair, exactly right. They're now microwave <laughs> ovens. <laughs> yes, they are. To be fair, the new generation Civic is a big step up over the, the outgoing car. All right. So, yes. you know, the product is, you know, leaps well, and bounds uh, much better than it was before. It's just the price, I think, is the sticking point for like us journalists and a Absolutely. lot of the, uh, the people as well. Yeah. And it's, it's nearly the same money as, as the, the Type R. 
Yes. Which, which, which I really rate. I think that's the best hot hatch you can buy. I really love that color. Well, I think, I think the, um, the interesting point in, or uninteresting point is, is while Honda is trying to trim down and head upwards, the likes of Merck is trying to bulk up and head downwards. You know, when you, when you think about A-Class and CLA and all of those entry price leader models for Merck, they're trying to fill out their opportunity uh, in the opposite direction. Yeah, but I mean, for someone like Mercedes, the only way is down. It's in, yeah. terms of, in terms of products, you know, they own they own the class thing, you know. So yeah, they invented that. Um, yeah, and, and you know, as a result, you know, if they want to if they want to broaden their market reach, yeah. the only way to do and that is, is to go down market. It's, well, that's funny you bring up Mercedes as well because they're also moving to an agency. They are indeed next year. They are indeed, yeah. and in fact, there's legal action, you know, bubbling along um, as we speak because they're. Uh, franchisees, their retailers aren't happy. Um, so obviously, I, I think Mercedes sees some, um, you know, some benefit in moving to that sales model. You know, uh, yes. customers, you know, surveys have said that uh, the one thing that car buyers hate the most is going into a dealership and haggling. And yes. this takes away all of that. You know, you yes. know the price that you're going to get. You can see it online. You can just order it, get it delivered, go pick it up, just like your groceries. Well, that's it. And, you know, um, that's presumably where the dealers are uh, feeling compromised because they've had that latitude in the past mm -hmm. to be that, a dealer, um, you know, to make a deal. But if they're just facilitating a purchase that could be executed online and they're delivering the car, it's an entirely different world for them. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just new cars either. And, and, and can I just say too, the expression agency model, the first thing I think of is not a car dealership. Um, <laughs> it's an attractive, uh, an attractive person, yes. Um, I, I recently had to buy a car for my in-laws who, who had stuffed their Golf 7 into the back of a four-wheel drive. Oh, dear. Righto. Both bags. Anyway. They oh, away. wow. Yeah, okay. They walked away, but yep. uh, the insurance yep. company broke their car off. What are we going to And they live up in northern, uh, in country New South Wales. What are we going to okay. do? Oh, well, um, let me think. Our son-in-law happens to be a car journalist. Why don't we ask him? <sighs> so I told them what to do. They did the opposite, but I had to go and do the deal. And I went to uh, a large sort of a quasi wholesaler and mm. the deal there was that's the price you either pay it or you get the bus yes uh, there was no haggling whatsoever yes um which was i mean i was trying to get a few dollars off but on the other hand i hate haggling you know yes mm. I, I, I would starve to death in southeast asia because i won't have <laughs> uh, i can't well, buy anything you know well, a good, a good mate of my uh, brother's and a good mate of mine, his technique for whenever he's selling a car is that is the price because he knows that if someone is interested in the car, and in fact, interested enough to turn up and take a look, they probably want to own it. You know, there's part of them that, that wants to do that. And if he plays hardball, he'll find them out very quickly. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's his technique. Good on it. Mm, all right. Um, now, what, the, the other thing to mention also is that Honda um, has made the point that this is not just a financial thing, although in the long run, I suppose it is. They want it to be very much about customer service. Their agency model is all about customer service first. And to your point, Dave, taking haggling out of the equation is a big one for them. Was that in the press release by any chance? <laughs> it's in Byron's story. Well, we've got, we've, got in Byron's customer, story. we've got our customers' best interest. Uh, That's yeah. our first priority. Uh, yeah, is it? Wouldn't be the, <laughs> wouldn't be the share price, would it? You know? no. yeah. Well, the, the other thing is, um, Tung, you mentioned it, that we're looking at uh, a new HRV um, and we're looking yes. at 2023, a new CRV. 
And then yep. there's the ZRV, which is going to take them into, I believe, you know, the uh, battery electric uh, world. So the innovative product, um, the more premium positioning, um, you know, you'd like to hope that the quality comes up to meet that. There'll be initial sticker shock, but um, will, the time will tell whether people are willing to pay um, Audi money um, for, for a Honda. Yeah, yeah. I think, like I said before, I mean, if, if the new generation Civic is any indication, then Honda are on the right track with their product. Um, you know, they have talked about trying to fill in a few holes in their gap, uh, sorry, try to fill a few holes uh, in their lineup. Yep. Um, you know, they need a sub HRV um, SUV, something to compete against the Hyundai, you know, venue, um, Toyota Yaris Cross, that sort of thing. And they might even look at a larger SUV to sit above the, the C, CRV. Um, so they're definitely yep. making the right moves with more SUVs, uh, you know, as we all know. Um, yeah, I, I just think time will tell whether or not we flock to these products. I personally, if yeah, I think the product and the quality is going to get there. Uh -huh. It's just whether or not the, the consumers can get over the higher price tags. Well, I suppose to, to, to round out the, the discussion, uh, Byron in his story says, Australia doesn't need an inferior Toyota clone. A cheaper Audi A3 alternative from Japan makes much more sense. And he mm -hmm. says, let's give the brand that was once dubbed the fear of Europe a chance. So that's, uh, that's his position. He's saying, look, let it play out. Don't judge it too quickly. Uh, let's see what kind of proof resides in, in the pudding, you know. Have they, have they had a bunch of boardroom changes or, you know, upper management changes in quick succession? Because they seem to me that Honda will do this thing where they, where they develop something or spend a lot of money developing something and then just go, ah, no, we can't be bothered there. Yeah. Can't be bothered. Well, <laughs> it's also, I, you tend, it depends on I, how, how dramatically you ride the roller coaster of, of success or otherwise, you know, as to how much yeah, but money other, you've got in the till. Okay, so let me use the example of Toyota. Toyota said, you know, and, and this is 10, 15 years ago when diesel cars were, believe it or not, sexy. People wanted diesel. And, and yep. Toyota said, no, 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 we're sticking with petrol. We'll, we'll get you a hybrid version of that in, in years to come. And <laughs> yes. they have, and they've stuck yeah. to it, and it's yep. now paying off. I don't see that level of commitment's probably the wrong word, but that level of um, sticking with a program mm. at, at mm. Honda. I'm, I'm seeing a lot more, you know, jumping around. Yes. things picking up new things whatever's trendy this month and and, and yes. you know from where i sit maybe this maybe this agency model thing might be a flash in the pan too they might go back to you know can i yeah. can i put my uh tinfoil hat on for a second here Certainly. um you know i i genuinely think honda australia is just in a it isn't a tough position you know you look at honda america um you know honda in the us they're doing their own thing you know they've got um acura um, they've got models that we do not get, you know, Ridgeline, um, that, that Ute, uh, Honda Passport, uh, you know, Civic SI, uh, they're getting a new Integra over there. They, they're getting all these, you know, flashy, fancy products that we will never get our hands on. They're basically doing whatever they want. You look over at Honda of Europe, um, like in the UK, they're going all in on electrification. You know, mm. they've got Honda E, all electric, um, you know, that hatchback, uh, their Jazz and their HRV is, uh, you know, hybrid only. Um, and then Australia is just kind of stuck in the middle there. And it's mm. like, we can't get the product from the US. You know, electrification is going to be too expensive to sell in Australia. What are we supposed to do here? We need to make a decision about our future direction. And this is their play. Well, all right. That's a good point. And and, you know, we are stuck in the middle and, and we're a backwater as far as Honda's concerned, you know, regardless of 
having our customers' best interests at heart, we are a backwater. You know? And if you look at the history of this, you know, Honda's got a big plant in, in England. They make a lot of cars. Yeah, sure. Clout. Uh, yeah. In the UK, in, sorry, in the US, 40 years ago, Honda mm. just clicked with Americans. And mm. don't ask me why, you know, because it didn't seem to, you know, on paper, it didn't seem that logical. But while um, the F-150 truck and the Chevy C-10 Ute or pickup retained their, their their place on the podium as the two best-selling vehicles, the best-selling car, passenger car, was the Honda Accord. Accord. Years and years and years, mm. and years and years. So that brand in the US has got incredible cut through. Yes, and, and it's we, true. And it, just, and it doesn't exist here. Well, it's so true. You, All you right. Forget well, about an Australianized Honda. It just ain't going to happen. We do yeah. not have the muscle. Good. Um Good discussion. Let's let's see how all that percolates uh, through in in twenty twenty two and twenty three. And um, you can read Byron's story um, on you know carsguide.com.au. And um, it would be good to to get your thoughts um, if you're listening or, or viewing on YouTube. Tell us where you stand with Honda, current owner, former owner, potential you know prospective future owner. Um, tell us where you stand with their their philosophy and and what you make of it. But now we're going to move to our garage. And Tung, this is a fascinating one because you are on the other side of the globe and you've actually been steering something that is not steerable uh, in this country just yet. Fill us in, please. No. Uh, well, I've been lucky enough to uh, snag the keys to a Cupra Formenta. And yep. like we joked about earlier, you know, that sounds like some kind of Harry Potter Hogwarts spell. Yep. Um, yep. But, you know, for those that don't know, Cupra is, um, you know, part of Volkswagen Group. Um, that brand is was um, say it's sort of high performance division. Um, they've spun that off into their own, you know, standalone mm. brand. Mm. Um, and the Formentor is actually their first standalone model for Cupra. Um, so it's not based on any existing say it, um, you know, it's uh, sort of like a small, uh, ha- uh, sorry, small SUV um, yep. with wild styling as you'll see on the uh, YouTube video now. Um, the same platform as the, the new 8th generation Golf, um, same engine as the new 8th generation Golf as well. Uh, so the 1.5 litre um, turbo petrol, 110 kilowatts uh, is, the, is the, the variant that I'm in. Um, Seven-speed dual-clutch automatic, uh, looks really good. It's, it's very much style-focused, and um, Cooper have cool. said that their, yep. their brand is focusing on um, you know, a, a youth a buyer, uh, yep. so someone who would might, you know, who, who might want a car that looks, you know, flashy so again uh, they're all about the customer there you go they're all about the customer as well yes sorry dave bless them (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh yeah no i guess some quick things that i like about the car cool Um, it's it's very tech focused uh you know there's a big 12 inch screen in the multimedia uh for the multimedia um it's all touchscreen uh you know climate controls and all that sort of stuff as well got all the bells and whistles that you want um Mm. you know a smartphone charger, a heated steering wheel, heated seats, which is an absolute must in Ireland. Oh, yes. It gets to a balmy five degrees. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, and it looks really good, like I said before. Um, things that could probably it could probably do better on. The boot's a little bit small, especially when you're carting around a pram and a baby and a wife and a family. Yes. Uh, baby in the boot? <laughs> Apologies, yes. the baby, baby's in the back seat. Oh. Uh, the, the baby paraphernalia is in the boot. <laughs> Just to clarify. 
Yep, yep. Uh, I am doing it. You know, it is all above board here. Actually, it makes sense. Isofix anchors in the boot. That could be yeah, a thing. Yeah. I quite like it. Yeah. And then, you know, soundproof boots would be the next thing, wouldn't it? Nice. Ah, nice. Yeah. Uh, see? Keep the crying in the and, product planning. And Tung, where do you buy it? Do you buy it at a standalone Cupra kind of dealership or have you noticed that? Are they on the ground there? Uh, I haven't noticed any uh, okay. dealerships. There's a lot of Volkswagen, um, yep. but I know the Australian plan is to uh, tack on Cupra to select um, Volkswagen dealerships. Volkswagen dealerships. So, okay. Yep. Yeah, cool. And I think cool. They'll, they'll be selling a lot of these cars online in Australia as well. Um, All right. Once again, skewing very heavily towards um, you know the younger buyer. Um, but yeah, they'll be here in 2022. Uh, they'll have more than just the 1.5 liter engine on offer and let's see how they do. Super. All right. And um, you're going to be updating uh, on the site uh, your adventures in that car. Absolutely. So we're a little bit yep. ahead of the curve there, thanks to your foray um, into Ireland. So well done. That's good. Okay. Yep. Thank you. And Dave, mm. you've not been in fresh metal. You've been in metal that has uh, been around the block several times. Tell oh, us about your most recent adventure. Well, I had to drive from Melbourne to Bowel for the memorial service for Paul Coburn, which a lot of people watching this will who yep. will be familiar with Paul's work. Um, very funny writer, uh, ingenious industrial designer, designed the Dolphin Torch, among many other things. Uh, and he was a great mate of mine. And he uh, hmm. passed away about three weeks ago now. So we had a memorial for him this time last week. And I had to drive up there because what's the point of flying? Sure. So I dusted off my um, 19, uh, 2003, I think it is. Um, Holden Commodore SS Ute. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. And, and away we went. And I, I loaded the the, uh, the bride and uh, the toolbox in the back and an S. Fantastic. And away we went. And I did 2,000 Ks in the space of a you know, handful of days. Um, it got uh, fuel consumption into the high eights. Yep. Uh, and That's that, fantastic, isn't it? Isn't That's it? pretty you know, impressive. With, with 300 and something horsepower under your clog, and you can do mm. that. And I wasn't messing around either. I mean, I had to get up there in a hurry. And, yes. Uh, you know, <clears throat> may the force not see you. Um, and <laughs> I, came, I came home the back way over the snowy mountain. Um, oh, great. So I, was, I was giving it some large there. Um, yeah. Up the hills, of course. Not, you know, not speeding or anything. But it, it, it performed admirably. And um, the only problem with it is the, uh, the limited slip diffs getting a bit ropey. And the, uh, when, it, when the diff was getting hot on the freeway, you'd slow down to an off-ramp or something and, and the uh, you could hear the clutch packs chattering. Oh, wow, I see. So, but there's, there's a fix for that and it's a it's a, a branded additive that I have to get and add to the diff. And that oh, super, that's easy. Yeah. Shut it up. Um, other than that, you know, the thing, it doesn't rattle, it doesn't burn. It's done nearly 200,000 Ks now. And, uh, you know, I've said it before, but we are really going to miss those cars. Oh, I was going to say, that's a classic Aussie drive, isn't it? You know, that, it that's it exactly is. the purpose to which that type of vehicle yeah. was suited. Yeah. Well, in fact, in fact, uh, my other half said, what, what car are we going to take? You know, we can take my yeah. lot. I said, no, I don't think that's appropriate. You know, it's, not, it's not what Paul would have expected. <laughs> it would have wanted. Right, <laughs> yeah. fair, fair. Um, and I said, <laughs> it's got, you know, it's, it's fast, it's air conditioned, it's comfy, it's got leather. Let's take the ute. And Unreal. I'm so glad I did, you know. Yeah. yeah, good, good, good. Excellent. Well, thank you uh, for that update. That's, uh, that's superb. Now, um, I can round things off with a Toyota. Um, it's the GR Yaris, but it's the rally version, which picks up some stiffer springs and anti-roll bars, gets some fancier wheels and some stickier rubber. Um, but really, it's, it's 
polishing up an already very shiny vehicle in my view. Um, so this is $54,500. The standard uh, GR Yaris is $49,500. So you've got a $5,000 premium. It's a 1.6 litre turbo triple, six speed manual, all wheel drive. You've got two LSDs, one on each axle on this car, 200 kilowatts, 370 Newton meters. And look, it's basically a slot car. Um, I had the opportunity to, to drive it at the launch and have a fang um, around Canberra and what have you. And so getting back into this one, I thought, oh, it's going to be really cart sprung and feel horrible. It doesn't. It, it feels a little bit firmer, but this is what you're signing on for with a car like this. You know, when, when you buy it, you're ready for it. And it's nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's, it's relatively comfy and it's just so much fun to drive. The relationship between the wheel and the pedals and the seat and the gearbox and the way the, the engine and, and drivetrain connect with one another, it's just magical. I really love it. Um, the only uh, minus I'd have is, yeah, yeah, it is a little bit bumpier, but I reckon it's an instant collectible classic. It's, it's not a numbered kind of limited run, but every one is, does have a number on it. So for as long as it goes, you'll have something half special, but it's a car that you should drive. It's, it's, uh, I loved it. And uh, yeah, I, th I think Toyota has, here we talk about Toyota and the strides they've made in, uh, in making more interesting product. There's an absolute shining case in point as far as I'm concerned. All right. Now, feedback. We're going to go to comment of the week. So this comment uh, is positioned on top of the shipping container at the front of the Cars Guide forecourt. It has the fluoro paint on the windscreen. This is one you don't want to miss. So um, it's Marco Vess. And we were talking about um, Dave. He's actually Marco V-E-S-S, but we like to call him Marco Vess. And uh, he's... See what you did there. <laughs> we are talking uh, about electric cars as we invariably are these days. And he said, amazing how some people develop an overnight environmental conscience about lithium and cobalt, uh, as though oil production, it's used as clean and green and ethical. Um, you know, it'd be more intellectually honest for those commentators to just admit they don't like the change to EVs. To be fair, I get where people are coming from with their caution, having been uncomfortable with the idea myself, but a test drive changed my mind completely. Now, if I remember correctly, uh, Marco Viss has bought a Tesla. I think he's a Model 3 uh, owner and driver. I, I stand to be corrected. And he says, you know, have a great Christmas, Cars Guide team and comments section enthusiasts. So um, what do you make of the whole uh, equivalency, uh, Dave, between the environmental um, impacts of fossil fuels and internal combustion engines relative to electric motors and the, the stuff that you have to put in the batteries that, that power them? I think... I think... <laughs> It's interesting because you only have to build that motor once. Uh, you know, you only have to build the car yeah. once. My my thing with with all of this is is how you how you're charging it up. I mean, if mm. if you're charging it up by burning coal, I mean that's like to me yes. that's like picking up after your dog but dumping them on the next corner. You know, <laughs> yes, that's it, right. It just doesn't you're just moving the pollution? Yes. Um, so I mean. I love the idea of renewable energy and an electric car was renewable energy. And in fact, you know, I've got, I've got uh, four kilowatts of solar power on the roof of my place. Great. When I've got an electric car, I charge it on a sunny day and I'm running it. I'm running it on nothing and I'm not killing baby fur seals. Nice. Um, so that's where, you know, I mean, it's, that's not rocket surgery either, is it? You know, we all no. do that stuff, but yep. you've got to change the way you think. And uh, again, since we've had the, the solar on the roof, 
on a sunny day, we can't turn everything on, the dishwasher and the washing machine and get everything done while the sun's shining. Sun's on. Yeah, yeah. good. So good. It, you actually start to think differently about how you live. And yes. you start to consider the fact that if I if I go out now and press the the charge button on the hot water service, it'll get hot for free. If I wait yep. till tonight, um, it's not so free. There'll be yeah. lumps of coal heating. Yes. So once you get your head around all that stuff, I mean, that's cool. Uh, and we surely we're going to reach a point where where energy to charge your, your electric car and everything else will, will be renewable. I, I think, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll pick your brains in a sec, Tom, but I just wanted to, to, to chuck my two bobs in. I think humans as a species are just driven towards providing a more comfortable environment for themselves. And, and in doing that, we consume stuff. You know, so we'll we'll find a way to use up the Earth's resources, no matter what it is. <laughs> so yes, I, I think there are um, things to consider in in the whole electric vehicle thing. It's a matter of minimisation, potentially not eradication. But that's just my thoughts. Tung, where do you stand yeah. on that on that whole thing? Well, you know, it's not like you can flick on a switch and all of a sudden everything is, you know, renewable and fossil fuels aren't you know, being burnt up, like it's a stepped progress, you know, you've got to get electric vehicles into the hands of people. Um, and if that's, you know, being built, uh, you know, with high emitting factories and all that sort of stuff, so be it, you know, mm. but until you get those EVs into the hands of consumers, you know, you need to do that first. And then you yeah. can start talking about, oh, how are you going to recharge them? Uh, and then sort of refine that process and find a cleaner way to build those cars going forward. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's gonna happen. chicken a bit of chicken and egg. You reckon you got to totally. lead lead with the chicken and or or vice versa. Yes, but get it going. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And once yeah. once you know EVs hit critical mass, and then and then that's where you're going to start to see the real big you know changes. Cool. Cool. All I, right. I, well, I reckon. Sorry, Dave. Sorry, go sorry. For it. I reckon if you break it down, the yep. the, the whole environmental um, argument or the whole situation is absolutely solvable by the application of technology. Mm -hmm. Technology already exists. We just have to have, uh, we need governments who have the stones to implement it. Yep. And, and we need to educate people that it's gonna cost them dollars to do it. Yes. But, but if you wanna continue to breathe air yeah. uh, and, and pat your dog and live in a nice yes. house, you, it's gonna cost. Yes, uh, good call. But, but no, at I the agree. end of the day, it's technology and, and engineering and it exists already. We already yes. know how to do it. We yeah. just have to knuckle down and do it. It's 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 probably an instinctive uh, fear of the unknown. It's normalising what people aren't used to yet, and um, I, I think that's a very fair point. Um, all right, now with that, we have reached the finish line uh, for this episode and for 2021. We'll be uh, back in mid-January, but until then, look out for our topical and verbally violent holiday cage fight episodes uh, <laughs> to hopefully keep you entertained over the break. But for now, it's time to say thank you, Dave. My pleasure. And guru mahagut, Tung. Um, uh, Irish readers, please correct James's <laughs> yes, pronunciation. Time in, just have a crack. <laughs> I think um, and, I have just insulted him. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have no idea what I've said? I think, I hope I just said thank you. Um, and hats off to our director of Water Cooler Conversations, generator of good vibes and production demigod, Mr. Pritchard, for his amazing work all year. Uh, today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, my wife says I only have two faults. I don't listen and something else. Um, Santa pants and elf shoes. 
So very topical, very timely. Jump into the conversation. Cars Guide is on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Um, Apple Podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five is the preferred number of stars. Uh, thank you. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But uh, before we go, I was on the blower to a couple of my mates earlier this week. You know, now the border's open. They're on their way back from Queensland. Um, they took the inland route and, and just after I got onto them, Tom in the passenger seat told me they'd been stuck behind a tractor for 10 minutes, you know, weaving left and right, flashing their lights, honking the horn. Then old mate Dave, who was driving, finally got up the confidence to, to overtake it. And Tom said, now if we can find a way out of this paddock, we can really get going. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> true dad. <laughs> <laughs>